on a daily basis, what what do you do to help contribute to your continued success? Just a habit or a couple of habits that you do on a daily basis. Well, I walk five miles a day every day. I train martial arts anywhere from two to four times a week. So that's five to eight hours a week in addition to the five miles that I walk every day. I've changed my mm-hmm. diet. You know, I joined the bar as an attorney and I drank every single night. Now I drink a drink once a week. I don't even have the taste for it that I, I mean, you look behind, there's lots of stuff there. It's been there for probably a year. It barely gets touched. Uh, the humidor is a little emptier than it was, I promise you. That is for sure, because unfortunately, <laughs> as much as my doctor says I shouldn't do that, I'm like, listen, I can't cut out all things that are enjoyable in life. <laughs> one thing at a time. Yeah, one, no, <laughs> just, you got to enjoy life. <laughs> on the personal time, you know, find time for God, whatever that means for you, right? I'm an observant Jew. For other people, that means whatever it means to them, right? So mm-hmm. time for family, time, time with God taking care of yourself health-wise. But all of that I was able to do now that I'm a little bit older, now that my business is more established. You know, I no longer work 80, 100 hours a week. I'm not sure that I ever needed to, but at the time I really felt that I needed to. And we all have to go through that, right? So suggestions to someone who's listening to that, take care of yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Master podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. And today we have the pleasure of talking with Andres Meyer. I don't know if I said that right, Andres, but we're going to let you correct me if I said it wrong. But what I do want to point out is that you were the very first EAY, Entrepreneurial Attorney of the Year, champion a few moons ago, and you've had an interesting journey not only are, are you a champion of EAY, you're a captain and a volunteer in our world and, and someone I consider a friend. So I just want to thank you for being on today. It's my pleasure to be with all of you. NPS, uh, uh, I frankly never heard you <laughs> refer to yourself as NPS, but <laughs> congratulations. It sounds very much like net promoter score, but conversation for another time. <laughs> okay. So how, what's the right way to say your last name? So the right way, so Mechet. Mecha. The, the right. phonetically accurate is mecha. That's true in Hebrew as it is in Spanish. It's a guttural sound. But when I do my TV appearances and podcasts and other stuff, it all of a sudden becomes mayor. <laughs> because people right. typically right. don't screw that up. But interestingly, when I, I was a vice chairman of the Long Branch Housing Authority, someone kept on saying, the mayor shouldn't do this and the mayor shouldn't do that. Halfway through the meeting before they realized they were talking about me. And they thought because my last name was mayor that I actually was the mayor. Like, I'm sorry, guy. I'm not an elected official. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> well, so MPS went with MPS because, as you well know, my last name, proper last name is Strauch. Uh, By the way, it's James. easier to pronounce than mine. I'm fine with Strauch. Well, you get it right, but I promise yes. you it's as challenging <laughs> and as difficult for us to explain. So anyway, I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Michael, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. I mean, look, Andres, obviously we've had the pleasure to uh, get to know you, but not everyone listening to this does. So what is something that maybe not everybody knows about you? So I lived twice in Chile, 
twice in Israel, twice in the U.S. I came to the U.S. as a kid a week before my sixth birthday, not speaking English. I moved to Israel as an adult, 2021, not speaking Hebrew because I had forgotten it. Most of it, I mean, I, I could understand, but still, it was no longer a conversational subject for me, language, even though it was my first language. So I speak three languages, and despite all of that, it took me a decade until I realized, you know, immigration is right for me. <laughs> I mean, you would think speaking multiple languages, living in a clue that this is a <laughs> you would think that would be the first thing I went to. I did not take a single immigration law course in law school. And I'm entirely self-taught on the immigration uh, side. And, well, not and. It's like, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so when you ask things pe people don't normally know, it's that. I never went and worked hey. for another law firm that did immigration. I kind of learned it on my own. I think I'm better off because of it. But mm -hmm. I'm still surprised at the stupidity that I sometimes see. For things that to me are obvious, I don't understand why they're not obvious to others. I'm sure you guys speak to business owners um, that feel that way. Meaning, why am I not getting the results that I want? What do you mean I just need more leads? What do you mean I have to market? What do you mean I'm a business? I'm an attorney. I have a practice. You know, so yeah, happy to go into any of these things in more detail because to be honest, all, all I've learned, I learned from Rich. Uh, so I'm happy to repeat Rich's stuff here to answer any well, questions that I can. That, that's kind of you, but lots of people learn stuff from us. Not everybody implements the way you implement. So you got to take the credit. I know it's hard to take the credit, but you get the credit. So I do want to, before we go any further, I, during the recording of this particular pod, we're in a difficult time in Israel and we just want to, you know, pass our condolences, good thoughts and prayers along to you and your family that's in Israel. We don't have to go into a, a big discussion about it, but I, I just want you to know that I re recognize you're going through something there and it's got to be distracting. It's got to be sitting on your heart. And so I really do appreciate you coming on today, though you're sure. going through these challenges. Absolutely. Unfortunately, yeah. none of them get to choose the times we live in. We can only make the best of the time that we have, whether that's a hurricane, whether that's a financial crisis or war, hmm. you know, yeah, you've got, you've got, uh, did you still have staff in PV as well? I have one soon to be two, but they're remote. They're actually former employees that came back. Got it. Hmm. And so th they were in the middle of a hurricane this last week. You got family in the middle of war this week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You got a lot going on. So yeah. Anyway, you know, I just, there, there's enough distractions in business. I think you said it off camera before we got started. Sometimes it's difficult to understand what we're supposed to be prioritizing right. right now. And sometimes it's hard to get our head clear that we need to keep prioritizing the things that move our business. But, you know, because today is about a business podcast, we're going to focus there. But I think we want to get back to your journey. Michael, I took you off track a little bit there. Sorry. No, I, I think it was important. I <laughs> well, that we appreciate that. And I think that was important. And I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, what's going on and obviously standing by everyone during that time. But uh, Andres, why don't you take us down a little bit of the broad strokes of your journey as an entrepreneurial law firm owner? Well, let's see. I met my wife in law school. She was a couple of years before me. 
I remember her sitting for the bar. She's like, I'm never leaving New York. I'm not going to take any bar anywhere else. Why would I ever do that? I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> so you know, two years later, I took the New Jersey, New York bar, admitted in June, married in October, find out we're expecting in November, moved to New Jersey in December. And guess what? That's a heck My of wife a quarter was not licensed in New Jersey. It took her two years. We went from making high six figures each of us to making fifty thousand one of us. Uh, you know, from a two with the family on the way, two thousand square foot apartment over the park, elevator building, pre-war. It was beautiful. It was amazing. To a six hundred square foot tiny thing. I mean. It was horrible, <laughs> but you know, so I did that and I went to work for someone else doing stuff I didn't really want to do, or I thought I wanted to do. And then life happens. And about two years later, I was invited to become a superstar somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I had to decide, do I really want, I mean, I'd worked in large law. I worked in medium law. I worked in small law and I realized I'm unemployable. I need to find people that I find trustworthy and I, that I can respect. And I can't brown nose. Like mm. I can't make stuff up, right? right I'm right. not going to fake it. And if I don't know, if I don't trust you and respect you, I will tell you. And for some reason, employers don't really appreciate that level of honesty. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so here we are, just bought a foreclosed property. For like two hundred thousand, mind, mind you, our school payments were three hundred thousand. Mortgage of two hundred thousand. We spent every dollar we had renovating a destroyed property, and now I'm opening up my own law firm with no <laughs> source of business whatsoever. I thought I was going to be a civil litigation personal injury, and my first client was the girlfriend of one of my movers because they spoke Spanish. She didn't speak English. She had a traffic violation. I'm like, I never stepped into municipal court. I had no idea. Excuse me. I don't know anything about New Jersey law. I mean, I've, I've been practicing in New York, right? And all of a sudden I'm, you know, going to municipal court for someone I don't know, by the way, never got paid on, find out, get paid first. That was a tough <laughs> lesson to, to learn. But I walked in, judges visibly frustrated, speaking to a Mexican national, doesn't speak English, no translator. I'm like, your honor, I'm happy to help. He was so thrilled. I walked out with three clients and my, and my client, all charges dismissed. That's how happy he was. She still didn't pay me. <laughs> she still didn't, she didn't pay me. And I walked out <laughs> with three clients and I realized, oh, okay, this is not hard work. It's traffic violations. Most of the attorneys here don't seem to give a damn. They just process stuff. Man, I could beat them without thinking. How can I market? So I learned too that there's something called junk mail. Well, jail mail, we call it. And we mm -hmm. can purchase leads and we can do direct mail. Great. I did that. And I got robbed. And, and how did I realize that? Because I was doing, I was working nine to five. And then every single night I would print, handwrite, live stamp, and fill an envelope two to 400 every single night. And I did it often enough. I started recognizing the names. Wait a minute, that looks familiar. And I started putting the list and realized they're selling me the same lead and over again. Oh, man. That was $10,000 I didn't have. Oh, 
Right. So, well, <laughs> hey, and thank goodness you were the one writing the envelopes, right? There's a headline for you. Write your own direct mail envelopes so you know when you're getting screwed, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, otherwise, you could have been, that could have been going on for months. For months. So I yeah. went, I found another provider and our costs went down and ROI went up. And I was the, I couldn't believe it. I was the only person doing letters in English and Spanish. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, this is New Jersey. I mean, I had just moved back after 15 years. It was startling the number of Hispanics that I was seeing. I mean, I was one of five in my graduating high school. And, mm. you know, that was no longer the case, except I'm the American looking Hispanic guy. The other four were American, but they very much looked Hispanic. <laughs> I right, do right, not. Right, right. Sure. And ironically, we both married blonde hair, blue eyed women, but <laughs> my kids speak Spanish and his don't. It's just funny how life works out. But as I started speaking more and more to my clients and realizing, you know, their story is my story, how they came to the country, the challenges that they had to overcome. I mean, I could spend half hour, 45 minutes about how miserable my life was. It, that's irrelevant, right? We all go, immigrants go through, make sacrifices. It is not difficult to go to a new country. Mind you, I spoke English. I grew up here, but I left for Israel. And I came back on vacation and decided to stay. And then I got permission from the military to stay and go back to college and then go to law school. Met my wife who says, Israel is beautiful, but I'm American and this is home. Here we are. I came back for two weeks on vacation and I've stayed 25 years. <laughs> so <laughs> plans kind of change. So here we are in New Jersey, have one child, another one on the way, broke starting a new family, starting a new business. And I don't know anything about traffic or DUI or criminal. I'm a civil attorney. You, you did know one thing. I got to stop because, because okay, because this is a great story, but this is the little clue in the story that tells you you're not the average bear, right? Yeah. Because law firm owners I know, when they're starting off, don't even know that they can buy a list let alone understand the best way to send mail to the list is in an envelope that's handwritten and live stamped. Did you learn that or did you just do it because you didn't have like the machinery and anything else? To I print didn't the know up? any better. You didn't I know later any better. learned that there's easier ways to do it. But <laughs> at the great. time I had no idea. I'm like, oh, Steph, there we go. That's another one. Crap. I would sit there and watch TV and two or three hours after dinner every <laughs> single night. I mean, it sucked. But I was relatively new back to New Jersey, right? My, I'd been gone for 10 plus years, traveling abroad, living in New York. My family wasn't here. I had no contacts. I knew that my family depended on me building the practice. So I had to actually find a way to market. I didn't have any choice. So I became a traffic attorney. Then I became a DUI attorney because it's the most expensive service offering in that court. And I already knew the prosecutors. I'm like, why not? But from that came immigration. So what happens? Hurricane Sandy comes down in 2012. My business is non-existent now because there's no courts. They're stopped. There's no traffic violations. Some courts are flooded. I'm like, what am I going to do? Three months later, Obama announces the creation of DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. I'm like, oh, I've been interested in immigration. Let's do that. I have a seminar. We choose a seminar at a local school. I was in Long Branch. This was Long Branch High School because they have a large immigrant population. 
The day we choose happens to later be the day that the policy gets enacted. Local congressman comes. I get 65 clients out of two seminars, one in Spanish, one in Portuguese. Light bulb moment. If I can get 65 clients this way, let's go to more churches. Let's go to more events. I hired a community liaison officer. And all of a sudden, we were focusing more and more on immigration. But we were still doing whatever walks in the door law. So we did personal injury. We did workers' comp. We did criminal. We did divorces. We did everything. 2012, my wife's law firm imploded. So she joins the practice, not because we have a need, not because we had income, but because, you know what, working together. So trying to build a family, being a litigator, and she was a litigator, courts are not receptive. They don't care if you have daycare issues. So my kids got to see trials. My kids got to go to court and meet judges when they're six months, a year, two years, three years. Because if they were sick, one of us, they were coming with one of us. So that's why she joined the firm because she really could look there, there was they don't discriminate against young moms, but all of a sudden they're not hiring. It's just funny right. how that happens. <laughs> and she's now with us 10 years. You know, we're uh, 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 two full time U.S. based attorneys. We have three per diem attorneys for certain things. We have five foreign based attorneys. We're a staff of about 32 and we're hiring 12 more. So our biggest problem right now is not is not growing the practice. Our biggest problem is finding the right people in order to grow the practice. We don't have a lead problem. We don't have a generation problem. Yes, we can convert better. Our biggest challenge for the past couple of years is building middle management, building leadership, finding the right people that we can groom so that we can scale and we can unpack all of that. So one quick thing, you tell you just said that Kim has been working with you for 10 years. Can you please pass her our condolences? I will. <laughs> working with me is not easy. <laughs> but it is a pleasure for some. <laughs> I'd like now, to think so. I've worked with my bride for 30 years. And so I understand. I get to say congratulations and my condolences. Because when it's great. When it sucks, when whoo, it really sucks. Problems don't go away. I'm married an East Coast Italian bride. She can throw stuff at me fast, like, you know, cat food cans and things like that. Like, yeah, she can hurl them. So I just became a really good ducker through the years. If it makes um, you feel better, that's a crime. I'm sure we can find a way to get her arrested. Yeah, but even there, <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. My wife's from I, I know yes, you are. For those who don't know, <laughs> we're all joking just a little bit. All right. So, yeah, what a crazy journey. So, I guess, yeah. Michael, the next best question is what? I mean, so, whew, yeah, there was a lot there, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of moments here. Was there ever a down moment, a low point? that which obviously inevitably i'm sure there was but if so do you remember one distinct one and something you took from it so interestingly i had a conversation sometime back you know, with john alexander rich your former mm -hmm. business partner yeah uh, and he explained it kind of this scenario you know think of it as a bar graph as you're mm -hmm. growing your business there are going to be points where it's going to go up then it gets chaotic maybe it goes back down chaos. Mm -hmm. Maybe then goes back up while well, I'm off camera. But the point is, even growth causes chaos. The system you have today, you're going to break. 
the people that get you to half a million may not be there for a million, may not be there for two million. We may outgrow the skills that some of our team members have. But as long as the progression is in the right area and as long as you have the data and as long as you understand what's happening, you're going to get periods of chaos. So if your goal is to grow a practice, right? I took it from nothing to about half a million without any input from anybody. Yeah, I had some business consultants. All they did is charge me time and money and really didn't do anything. Matter of fact, when I first met Rich, I thought he was nuts. He wanted me to pay him four times more than my business consultant. And my business consultant come to my office for four hours every Friday. And Rich, I get 30 minutes a month. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? How is that possibly a good idea? (laughs) You know, but... Here we are eight years later. So maybe there was something, maybe nine, maybe maybe there was something to that. But during that process, I've changed practice areas. I've changed staff. I've changed offices. I've changed vendors. So throughout that period, there were periods of chaos. But Mm. when you have the right data and when you have the right information, chaos is difficult in the moment, but at least Having information allows you to make informed decisions rather than guesses. So, yes, if tomorrow I have less leads, I will know that two, three, four weeks ago, two, three weeks in the future, I'm going to have less income because I'm going to have less set appointments. And that means there's going to be less hires. And that means there's going to be less money. So in the past, I looked at the bank. Is there money in the bank? Life's good. I can make payroll. No money in the bank. Crap. What do I do? Having information and having staff, well, having systems and people to manage those systems allows me to avoid potential catastrophes so that the lows are not as low. Sometimes the highs aren't as high because we can readjust. That's what information is for. So the better our systems become, the more manageable the chaos is. Look, we can't change the fact that if a hurricane happens, life changes. Hmm. You know, if a new president is elected, policies change. Irrespective of whether you're Republican or Democrat, change is change. And when you're, if you're a bankruptcy attorney or if you're a, a immigration attorney where federal law matters, social security, who's in charge will not affect something from one day to the next, but six months or a year, those policies will affect. You don't understand. All of a sudden, well, this was a million dollar case. Now it's a $300,000 case, but I spent 280,000 to get there. How does, (laughs) what? So, you know, we have to be able to roll with the punches as best as we can. And we have to recognize as business owners that what happened yesterday might not happen tomorrow. And there's always the unexpected. One of the things that, one of you taught me is, you know, live below your means. Make sure you're yes. setting some money aside because there's going to be the only thing that's unexpected is that an unexpected event's going to happen. We may not know what it is, but our business is going to be impacted. And if you don't have resources for it, you're in trouble. 2000 Hurricane Sandy almost took me out of business. That's funny. You've lived through Hurricane Sandy, then you lived through the pandemic. I mean, you've been through it. Uh, and even that's through for sure. Sandy, I-, I didn't lose money. COVID yeah. it- was the first time 
since the opening of my practice that I lost money. I lost money for two years. And that's because I didn't take your advice and just lay people off. Not that you said fire your whole team. You didn't do that. I know. You said make sure you maintain profitability. But I kept them on. And then I used the PPP. Would I have been better off if I had just cut everything? Maybe, but that's just not me. I can't do that. Eh. It's behind us now. Yeah. So, so but, I, I, but speaking to the man or the woman, the attorney who's listening to this, the avatar we're talking to. So what a great story. What a great journey. I'm curious. So you, we're, you're saying the word business owner, which I love and you love and Michael loves, but many of the law firm owners that are listening right now didn't actually go into being a law firm owner thinking they were going to be a business owner. They thought they were going to be a practitioner of law. I'm curious, it sounds like, and I think I'm right about this, that you didn't think about being a practitioner of law. You actually saw it as owning a business or did you not when you first opened your doors? How did you feel? From college on, I always, am I going to be in business or am I going to be an attorney? So I graduated Rutgers University. I got a full ride scholarship at their honors program, which I left when I went to Israel. I abandoned all of that. But I was working towards a joint undergraduate and MBA. It was a five-year program. Okay. Which I left because I hated statistics. Oh, my God. I took that course three times and I couldn't handle it. But I wound up leaving. I moved to Israel. I came back and I said, I just want to finish as quickly as possible because I have military obligations. Let me do this in two years. I dumped the program and I just graduated. Then I went to law school and I started focusing on a joint JD MBA. I went to Brooklyn Law School. They have a joint program with Baruch College. And I was fine, but after five years of working seven days a week, working full-time when I was an undergraduate, studying at night, and working full-time in law school and studying at night, I didn't have the energy to do another year. I just wanted out. So I did a four-year program in three and a half years. Brooklyn Law School is kind enough to make me pay for that another semester, which is why they've not gotten a single dollar from me and never will again. Nothing like forcing someone to pay for something they didn't need. Thank you, BLS. So I always go, went back and forth. And when I opened up my law firm, did I describe myself as a business owner? No, but I understood that's what I was. So I was in business and I would have to, I had no choice. I could sit back and wait for people to walk in. That didn't work very well. So I had to go out and find where people were and what kind of business I I was in. And I was always looking for how can I advertise? How can I market? I didn't even understand that those were the terms. I was just looking about How can I inform? There are people out there that have a problem. How can I let them know I'm here to solve their problem? Yeah, you know, so what's interesting is this point of difficult times are going to find you. Like you can't hide from problems. There's no hiding under the desk. There's no, they are going to find you as an individual. They're going to find your business somehow, some way. But you seemed, and I believe it was because of your understanding that you owned a business and or or the studying that you did you developed a a temperament about it. Even when you were learning, like you said, you learned from John Alexander all those years ago, his example or explanation of it, but it wasn't like you didn't understand the temperament back then. You have always had, as long as I've known you, a temperament to understand there's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. We just have to figure out how to weather the storm in between and handle what's in front of us. And so I don't know. Is that a skill that you learned? Were you born that way? Like, how, how do you so think? I'd like to think I was born that way. But the reality yeah. is I have had a life I don't wish on anyone. 
So mm-hmm. I've seen what the bad is and really bad. I mean, you know, I was going to jail to visit family members when I was younger. And I've seen the bad that look, my earliest memories are don't touch a box in the street because it could be a bomb. Don't talk to strangers because you may never see your parents again. Like, you know, we talk about some of that. I lived through that. And it's the PG version. Yeah. So yeah. I saw early on that life isn't how we want it. We can always... I had a great month in October. So let me extrapolate that every single month will be as good as that or better. I mean, yeah, you could do that. You're going to be disappointed for most people. So you got to plan. We we actually, you and I know people who have done that. Oh, yeah. You and I know people who have done that and who have thought that their best October was going to be their best November. And, and maybe they were right and it was their best November. And then and, and all that did is reinforce their bad decisions. And then they had their best December. And then they started increasing expenses and payroll and all these things to build up their infrastructure or operational expense. And then whammo, January or February is terrible. And then they get saved a little bit in the next month in March, but then they have a bad one in April, May, and June. And before you know it, they're like upside down. And they think it started in June, but it really started in October when they made the decision that it was just going to be on a great path from that point forward. You agree with that? So what I've learned, it is very difficult for us as humans to learn from the mistakes of others. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn from our own mistakes, which means we have to make a lot of mistakes earlier on when those mistakes do not destroy us because there's just no alternative for experience. There's somebody we both know that is going through that right now. I've told him not to do what he did. He did it anyway. Okay. You know, he had two good months. He's had two bad months. His expenses are ballooning. He's going to have a problem in two to three months. Unless his large, hopeful expectations materialize. The reality is it never materializes that way. So, you know, we always have to hedge. We can't push ourselves that much. And yes, I've had to learn it because I made that mistake myself. I can't tell you how many times I increased, you know, life is good. We just had two two good months. We're approaching the end of the year. What happens? Let's hire four more people. This is our slowest time of the year. What happens? You increase expenses at the same time that income goes down. What happens comes January? You have less hair. Oh, sorry. Too late. (laughs) I tell you, so for me, it wasn't this business. It wasn't the funeral. It was the pet supply business that I owned. And that was inventory, not staff. And so I used to have yellow legal pads full of notes, projections, convincing my wife why we need to take on the next line of credit to be able to buy the next batch of inventory because the new customers that have it have already pre-ordered it and how it was going to, it's already sold and everything is good. And then before you know it, we ordered the next batch of inventory. The customers did pre-buy it, but the batch of inventory got stuck on a ship on the way from China and it was delayed by six months. And by the time it got here, 85% of the orders canceled and we couldn't get them to buy it again. And now I got a warehouse full of inventory that I paid up, borrowed on credit and I don't have the money to pay for it. And now I'm more and more in debt, right? I, I mean, that, that I have done that so much in my life using opportunistic attitudes. Look, I'm an opportune, I, I'm a positive mental attitude kind of guy. Like I would go as far as saying this morning, the first thing I did is wake up to check to make sure the hairdryer is working, right? That's how optimistic <laughs> I am, okay? But it has gotten me in trouble at times in business 
being too optimistic and not having enough realization of what's actually happening. And what you said earlier is having that data has been able to give you clarity on what's really going on. And so I I don't know, I get a little hot there because I see so many law firm owners go through this, right? Mm. I just met with one the other day. I, I, I had a conversation with them and I'm talking them through their challenges and like one thing led to another. Before I knew it, I realized they're almost $800,000 in debt in a law firm with no inventory. Yeah, it, it, I didn't understand. I mean, my mind was blown. I'm like, how did we get here? Right. And it's just that opportunistic thinking. It's not their fault. It, yeah, of course, it's their fault, but it's not. It's like they can't lament about it. You can't regress about it. You just got to work your way through it. Michael, sorry, yeah, I've right. taken us so far off your trail, wherever you wanted to no, go. No, it's super but, valuable. Irrespective yeah. of where a business is, right? Are they half a million? Are they a million? Are they two million? Are they three million? I, 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 right now, we're talking to attorneys and we're talking law firms, but I, law firm is a business, whether they recognize yeah. it or not. And if you don't recognize it, you probably shouldn't be in our world and you might not be in business very long uh, because if you're a business owner and you don't consider yourself a if you own your practice and you don't realize you're a business, you either be working for someone else or you're going to be unhappy. So whether you like it or not, whether you agree or not, it's reality. It's a fact. You just got to deal with it. But the challenges do change depending on your organization. I've met multi-million dollar law firm owners that don't have data. Like they don't know where their money came from. They don't know where Crazy. their clients came from. And their $2 million business becomes $4 million business without spending anything else. Once they know where stuff is going, oh my God, you mean those $5,000 a month in spending is not bringing me a single client? Huh, maybe I shouldn't spend that. Hmm. So- And better, maybe I should spend it somewhere somewhere else, else. right? Yeah. Yeah. Irrespective of where on the paradigm your business is, there's always about- data, people, and systems. You know, Mark Lamona says people, profit, and process. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just a different way to say the same thing. You need to have yep. a process. You need to be profitable. If you're not profitable, get out of business or change your people or change your process until you get profitable, right? So yep. figure out what the right way. For me, I've changed. I've gone from do everything that walks in the door to five practice areas to three practice areas, to just one in immigration. And in that one, we're not taking every type of immigration case anymore either. We're being more selective. Mm-hmm. And the end result is we're more profitable. We have a more systematized approach and yep. we're happier, right? Well, there's still other challenges. Look, I work mostly from home. Uh, I'm not saying my wife agrees with that. <laughs> That's a different <laughs> challenge. Because she works better in office, so it's ironic. She's in the office every day, and I'm not. I'm like, well, I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the changes that you, you need to do will depend on where your business is. Where your business is, if you don't have data, you don't know. So whether it's the PCLC, the perfect client life cycle, or it's something else. you need to. So me today, I have three teams. I have the intake team which includes sales and marketing. I have client success, which is think of it as an account representative, someone that helps our clients gather their information, their documents, their answer to questions and their money. And then our production team, which is our highest level case managers and attorneys that make sure we move paper. 
at the end of the day, I'm a paper mover. That's my function as an attorney. I think I'm really damn good at it. But one of the things that we're good at is determining who's who we can help and who we can't. Qualifying. Right. Like, again, self-taught. I don't understand why people don't focus on that. But most attorneys don't. Thank God they don't. I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, why did nobody else tell me this? I don't know. To me, it's obvious. Well, you know, and we're getting to the end, but I want to point out one thing that you said. You know, you kept cutting down the number of practice areas you offered, yet your firm kept growing. And the more you've narrowed your practice area scope, as long as that scope still had a decent demographic for you to serve, a number of uh, available clients to you, you've been able to grow your business and grow it more profitably and more clearly identify the qualified types of clients that you actually want to work with. And so that is, that in itself is like a lesson like that. We could just cut that out, give that. And that is like, do that, right? Just focus on the most highest, most profitable clients that you can build a process around and your business will be stronger and better because of it. And, And it solves an awful lot of problems. If you can do that, it takes a while to learn and it took you a while to get there, but here, you are today kicking and screaming <laughs> you know because some of these are high value cases like some of these criminal cases are twenty thirty thousand dollars a piece so it, it, initially we went off counsel we took in the the case or we you know we split it with the firm that we referred it to but our clients kept on complaining that they weren't their phone calls weren't being returned they were late in court you know meaning we baby our clients and other law firms do not and they kept right. on complaining that their level of service was less than ours. And I said, you know what? It's just not worth the aggravation. So we stopped doing it. We just referred them. Listen, go work with them. We Don't hire us. Work with them. And look, this is what you got to deal with. On the immigration side, removal work was our highest value cases. But with the government dysfunction, it was our highest cost case. So our profit was practically non-existent. I mean, we still don't track our time, so we're not 100% on that data. But we know just because it was $20,000, we weren't making $20,000. Right. And it was about being a bottleneck in the rest of the place. Hey, Michael, I want to keep us on time. Where do you want to go from here? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think, Andres, for you on a daily basis, what... What do you do to help contribute to your continued success? Just a habit or a couple of habits that you do on a daily basis. Well, I walk five miles a day every day. I train martial arts anywhere from two to four times a week. So that's five to eight hours a week in addition to the five miles that I walk every day. I've changed my Mm -hmm. diet. You know, I joined the bar as an attorney and I drank every single night. Now I drink a drink once a week. I don't even have the taste for it that I, I mean, you look behind, there's lots of stuff there. It's been there for probably a year. It barely gets touched. Uh, the humidor is a little emptier than it was, I promise you. That is for sure, because unfortunately, <laughs> as much as my doctor says I shouldn't do that, I'm like, listen, I can't cut out all things that are enjoyable in life. <laughs> one thing at a time. Yeah, one, no, but just, you got to enjoy life. <laughs> on the personal time, you know, Find time for God, whatever that means for you, right? I'm an observant Jew. For other people, that means whatever it means to them, right? So Mm -hmm. time for family, time time with God, taking care of yourself health-wise. But all of that I was able to do now that I'm a little bit older, now that my business is more established. You know, I no longer work 80, 100 hours a week. 
I'm not sure that I ever needed to, but at the time I really felt that I needed to. And we all have to go through that, right? So it, it, suggestions to a someone who's listening to that, take care of yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah, mm. amen. Great amen advice. As my eldest daughter is now about to go to college, those days pass the nights that you miss, the dinners that you miss, the vacations that you defer, the sporting events, you don't go with them. All of a sudden you wake up and you don't have those options anymore. They've grown up without you. And our ability to impact who our children are going to be, what values that they have, who are they going to be as individuals? We only have 18 years for the most part, right? So find the time, make sure your business or your practice, whatever term you want to use, does not become the entirety of your world. Because if that's gone, then so is all meaning for you. So find meaning with God, with your family, with your friends, whatever that works. Find meaning for who you are and what you are outside of your profession. Because it's, at some point, look, now, Rich, you know, but I, don't, I haven't commonly shared this, right? I've suffered lately with anxiety and panic attacks. I went on vacation on a zip line. They thought I was having a heart attack. Right? I'm like, are you kidding me? I've done this a dozen times. So all of a sudden, something changes. And yeah. if you define yourself by that one thing and you don't have it, well, some people take their life. Right. So take care of yourself, take care of your family and understand you can learn more about all of this, how to take a business. You're working for someone else and you want to figure out how to go on your own. You're on your own and you're just starting out. You've been on your own for many years, but you haven't gotten the success that you wanted, but maybe you're comfortable. You know, maybe you make half a million, you keep 200,000, but you're in Louisiana and 200,000 means a whole lot more than it does in New Jersey. I'm not saying that 200,000 is a lot of money, right? That's not my point. But when your taxes are $30,000 a year, you know, everything kind of changes. So right. figure out who you are, figure out who you want to be and take time for what matters, family and yourself, because the business will be there. Great advice. Very well. I love it. Hey, Michael, that, that brings us about to the end of the pod today. Keep them on track. Where, what do you want them to do if they are enjoying today's show? Yeah, I mean, look, to the law firm owners that just listened today, first off, geez, so many great lessons throughout this entire podcast today. So, Andres, I appreciate um, it. Yeah, very good. But for all those listening, if you got some value today, make sure to hit that like button. Depending on the uh, platform you're listening or watching on, hit that subscribe or follow button. Turn those bell notifications on. And then comment down below. Give some love to Andres for the, just the value he dropped today because, wow, there was a lot of lessons. And we just appreciate you taking the time to be on. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Anybody that wants to reach out and have a conversation, I mean, I can't promise to give you hours and hours of time. But 15, 20 minutes, I, I, I can always do it's it. A, it's a good question, though, Andres. How, how would you want them to reach out to you? Please don't give your cell phone number. But how would you want them to reach out to you? That's a really good question because any way you find, you will not have direct access to me. <laughs> that's true right so what do you want them to put in the pot what do you want them to put in the subject line so they get through to you my personal email is my first name andres 
at andresmecherlaw.com. So even if you screw up my name when you Google it, you'll find the right domain. It's just nice. my first name at. So email nice. me. It's the easiest way to get me directly. I'm not saying it's the fastest, but I will certainly get it. Good. Or reach out well, to Rich and Mike and they can always set something up. If you're already in our world, you know how to reach me, right? Yeah. If you're not in a world and you're not, and I'm not here to promote joining our world or not, but if you have questions about your particular journey and where you are in life and something I've said resonates with you, I'm happy to help you unpack it. Andres, you have been a giver since the day that I have met you. You have been a giver since you've been in our program. You've been a captain with our program, volunteering to come alongside anybody who needs help. Hmm. And you have walked with them kneecap to kneecap or sat with them kneecap to kneecap for as often as they asked. And uh, you just have a wonderful, warm spirit. You have a great, successful business. You have a wonderful family. You're blessed to have Kim alongside of you and your family that you have. You. Again, my thoughts and prayers to those that are in Israel right now that are going through what they're going through. But I just want to say thank you for being on today. Thank you for investing your time and yet again, giving of yourself to our world and EA Nation. Givers get, you said it, and I believe it. So plenty of people along this path helped me to get to where I am today. John Alexander was one of them. Uh, you and I have had many conversations, Rich, where, you know, look, you give me credit for implementing. Obviously, change doesn't happen if we don't change. But when I tell my clients, strategy first, tactics second. If you don't have the right strategy, it doesn't matter what tactics you employ, you're not going to succeed. So thank you for giving me the strategic advice when I've needed it so that I've been able to tactfully <laughs> employ, implement them. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome.